We're going to turn to Acts chapter 16 as we continue through our series, working our way through this incredible narrative account of the earliest church and communities of faith and how the Lord works in the midst of their lives. And I hope uh, some of us over the last couple of days have been able to venture outside. We went for a, a walk yesterday and uh, there was a bit of warmth in the air. So I was there, I even took the jumper off, just a t-shirt. I think it was some kind of a prophetic action and moment just to bring on the warmer weather, making the most of it. But it's been nice to have a bit of sunshine in the midst. And there's always for me that moment soon as it warms up, especially after a cold winter, you just savour the light and the warmth of the sun. And it's my prayer this morning that we too, in the midst of a, a, a dark season, all seasons, um, can have that tendency from time to time, but, but we would, we would savour, we would soak up, we would bask in the reality of the sun and his glorious presence that he shines upon us. Let's pray before we do anything else. Father, just thank you for, for these moments as we gather together in the greatness of your presence before the Lord of all eternity and the one who is the lover of our souls. And I pray that you would shine the light of your glorious grace upon us, that you'd speak to us through your holy scriptures. Lord, make us a people who are ever inclining our ears and our hearts towards you with eager anticipation to hear what it is that you'd speak to us through your word. Lead us, guide us, and open our eyes afresh this morning to see the wonder and the majesty and the beauty of who you are, I pray in Jesus' name. We say amen. amen. The other thing to let you know is I actually forgot my watch this morning. I think this is potentially the first time I've ever done it. It's strangely liberating and terrifying at the same time. What happens, they say, when the preacher forgets his watch? I have no idea. We're about to find out. But uh, if I go on too long and you need to leave, you have permission. If the next service starts, then we'll quickly wrap it up. But do bear with me. And let's launch into this wonderful account. So Acts 16 begins the journey of Paul's second missionary journey. We've covered his first journey in some detail. We've had this interlude as we've looked at very various aspects of Acts chapter 15 and some of the things we've learned from that account. And then a few weeks ago we looked at just the end of chapter 15 where we see Paul and Barnabas separating ways and gleaned some truth and reality from that particular account. We saw, of course, in verse 41, Paul chooses Silas and they depart off on the missionary journey. So read in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was of Greek descent. He was well spoken of by the brothers and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him to be circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So this is our first encounter with Timothy, someone, of course, who becomes significant not only throughout the rest of Paul missionary's journeys, but a son in the faith to Paul and a prominent figure as the story of the church Unfolds. Verse 4, it says, As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, of course, referring back to Acts 15 and the theological wrestling that went through, the importance of doctrine that we established and looked at. And that was something that they proclaimed and they brought to the churches as they traveled around. They weren't just proclaiming their own message, but there was a central establishment of the creeds and confessions even within these early Christian communities. So it says in verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. What a wonderful picture that is. Strengthened in the faith, faith and increasing in numbers daily. So it's verse 6, and they went through the region of a variety of different places, I'll speak the pronunciation, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now we've mentioned these two interesting references 
in a previous message as we looked at this continual emphasis that Luke, as he pens this account, puts on the leading of the Holy Spirit. And at times that came through uh, dreams and visions, at a time that came from a word that was given in the midst of a community of faith, and at times that came here in two separate events of an intentional closing of a door. Some people like to make much of the different phrasing here. And the first instance it talks about having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, and then it talks about the Spirit of Jesus not allowing them. I wouldn't make too much between distinguishing between the two, other than to say at times the Lord leads by closing the door. And what's fascinating to me, and we, we mentioned this uh, some time back, is that here was Paul called as an apostle to proclaim the gospel. So he had the right call. He even had the right motivation to, to fulfill his call, to proclaim in a particular region. He, he was doing the right thing in the right way. And yet still the Lord said, no, it's not the right time. And for us, there's a lesson there, isn't there? That we can have the right call, the right heart and motivation, and yet still need to hear from the Lord whether indeed it is the right time for us to move forward in what the Lord is calling us into. Yeah? Amen? So... The Spirit, it says, had specifically forbidden them. said, no, you're not to go there. It wasn't that the Lord didn't care about that particular region. In fact, we'll see as the missionary journeys unfold that the Lord, in the fullness of time, will send them there. The gospel is proclaimed and there is a great harvest. It just was not the timing of the Lord. A vision appears to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately sought to go into Macedonia, concluding, as I'm sure we would if we had a direct vision from the Lord, that God indeed had called them to go to that area to preach the gospel. So the Lord had said, no, you're not to go this way. You are to go this way. There'd been a vision and a dream, a man calling them, indicating that they were to go to Macedonia. And we're picking up speed here. I know we're moving through to where I'd like to land this morning. Verse 11 says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage and following the following day to the town of Neapolis. From there to Philippi, a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. They remained in the city for some days and on the Sabbath day they went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. I love this phrase here. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Although there's this seeming almost coincidence of events. They happen upon a riverbank. They happen to engage in conversation with this one woman. Still, the Lord's leading and presence is there, opening up this woman's heart to receive what it is that Paul was to say. Verse 16, And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. Let's just pause there for a moment. So we see here the first convert, if you like, in the European leg of the second missionary journey. And what seems fascinating to me is we've seen these two examples of how the Spirit of the Lord is leading and guiding Paul and Silas at this particular time. In the one sense, there's that certain sovereignty of the, the Lord. Literally, it says the Lord opposing them. The Lord saying, no, this is not the right time and place for you to go into that particular region and calling them elsewhere in Macedonia. And then as they're following the leading of the Lord, it says, well, they, it's, it's almost like they just headed to this particular town. They thought, well, we'll head down to the river. We might find some people open uh, to hear the gospel. They find some women there, a particular merchant selling purple garments and clothes, and the Lord opens her heart to receive the gospel. See, there's this certain sovereignty in the kingdom, and then there's these moments that almost just seem to, to happen. It seemed like a good idea. And I think that's important for us to recognize and realize that as we look through the book of Acts and we see this, these moments of, of divine intervention as the Lord himself speaks and yeah, for some of us, including myself, we think, well, I don't 
seem to have many of those moments. And they're wonderful and they're important. But don't forsake those other moments where it's just taking the opportunity that the Lord presents before us. It's just the moments by the riverbank. It's just going about your day-to-day life. It's just you know, the, the moment as you, you walk to the, the coffee shop and somebody's there and there's a, a conversation that happens. Don't miss the leading and the call of the Lord in those seemingly insignificant moments. Because God is here. He is. And sure, let's, let's pray for the, the divine, direct revelation of the Lord. Absolutely. I'm not against that at all. But let's not miss the leading of the Lord in those little day-to-day moments where the Lord opens the heart of the person in the shopping queue, where you just happen to be having a conversation with a colleague that you haven't heard from for, for a while, for a period of time. And all of a sudden, the Lord is there in the midst of those moments. I also love this picture because we see here both the sense of, you know, the Lord has specifically direct Paul and Silas. You know, they're called to be the apostles to the Gentiles. They're called to proclaim the gospel to the world. And there is moments, isn't there, where we see that, well, in a couple of chapters' time, see this picture of, of Ephesus as literally it says the whole region hears the proclamation of the gospel. There's crowds, there's miracles, there's signs, there's wonders, there's all that kind of incredible stuff. And they're incredible moments. And for me, I'd be thinking, well, the Lord is shifting the direction of Paul and Silas. That's what we're expecting. They're going to go to Macedonia. It's going to be revival. Well, what is the first account of a convert as this journey begins? It wasn't the big crusade preaching, was it? There's nothing wrong with that. It's fantastic. It was one woman by the waterside. And don't we see that in the heart of Jesus' ministry as well? At times it was the crowds and the multitudes. At the times it was going out of his way to find the one woman in need by the well. Like it's, it's not either or, it's both and. It's the big whole region's proclamation, but it's, it's never losing sight of a God who cares for the one lost sheep. That one person that he would send us out of our way to reach out to, that he would redirect an entire missionary journey. No, no, don't, don't go to that region yet. I want to take you to one woman by the waterside that I might open her heart to hear and to receive the gospel. Now there's a message there, but we're not done yet. We're going to read a little bit more and then camp out for the rest of the time that we have together this morning. Verse 16, and this will kind of set up what happens in the rest of the chapter here. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, so Lydia's heart's been opened, they've stayed with her, her whole household as well as this lady have come to faith. They've been with her sometimes. It says, as we're going to the place of prayer, were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and bought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us by crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept going and doing for many days. And Paul having become greatly annoyed... Of this phrase, greatly annoyed. Just picture this as this girl hanging around. They're there on mission. They've seen a household saved. They're seeking the will of the Lord. She's in the background. But after many days, something rises up within him. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, he turns to her and says to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of it. And it came out that very hour. And then, of course, if we read on, it sees that the, the, the owners, this girl was used for their profit. They, of course, are very unhappy with what happens. There's a riot, and Paul and Silas eventually end up in prison, which will set the scene for the rest of the chapter, and we'll move on there next week. So let's just reflect on this particular encounter here, and I think there's some fascinating details and aspects for us And a few things I want us to reflect upon this morning. First of all, we see in the description that Luke gives us, it says there is a girl there who was possessed by a demon of divination. Now Luke mentions it, I think, partly just to specify that not all demons are created equal. We see a lot of mention of the demonic and the demonic realm throughout 
the New Testament, and they do serve different functions and have different roles. This was a spirit of divination. So he is singling this particular one out, but he's also mentioning it. The context, context here is almost as if it was something familiar, something commonplace. He, he references that as if it's something that his readers would know about. So we can presume that perhaps this was a common practice in the Roman uh, colonies at that time, that there were these fortune tellers, if you like, a bit like in today's world, we have the New Age movement, people who can read your future and prophesy events and do whatever they claim to do. Perhaps this was something that was quite commonplace, that these spirits of divination were, were something that you'd see as you travel throughout the region in different towns and different spaces. It certainly doesn't seem to be something uncommon. The interesting thing about this as we read the account is not only is the girl there and present, but it almost seems like in this instance, and Luke makes it clear, this was a demon that was behind the divination and the fortune telling. And yet she is almost seeming to help in the mission and the proclamation of the gospel. We read here, it says, she followed Paul crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, this is the only instance I can think of and find where the demonic activity that surrounds Jesus or the ministry of the apostles has actually seemingly in some way helped or certainly not hindered the, the very work that they were trying to accomplish. And so for some days it says that Paul has tolerated this. This is kind of happening in the background. They're aware of it. They're, you know, okay, it's, it's happening and it's there. But obviously it reaches a particular point where Paul has had enough. It says that he's greatly annoyed. But I don't want us to misinterpret exactly what it is that he's feeling. Because we can equally translate this, he was greatly grieved within him. There's something that was so stirred up within his heart. He put up with it for a while. It was happening in the background. But something so great stirred up within him. And annoyance to me kind of has more of a, a connotation that it was something within him. Something of his flesh. Whereas... Equally, we could say here he's greatly moved or greatly grieved. Like To me, it seems like it's more than just him being annoyed in and of himself, but there's something stirring within his heart from the Lord that this is a moment to deal with that which is happening all around him. So certainly as he's stirred up, he says, we cannot go on any longer than this. This is hindering us in what God has called us to do. And so he makes... A stand, of course, speaks to the demon. Instantly, the girl is delivered and set free. That's the context there. The very moment that he speaks, she is set free from the demonic oppression. And, of course, that then stirs up all sorts of other complications for them. So the question for us is this. Why did Paul wait so long? Why the many days? We don't know if many days is a couple of days or was a few weeks. There's some passing and period of time. The truth is we don't know exactly what the answer is. There's plenty of suggestions. Some say, well, he probably didn't want to make a scene, and certainly that's exactly what happens when he finally does address and deal with this issue. There's a scene that's caused. Some say, well, maybe this is a bit different because it doesn't seem like the girl wanted to be free. There's no indication in Scripture that she comes and says, would you deal with this, as there often is with you know, demonic influence and oppression. Father who comes and says, please set free my daughter from the affliction that she's been Suffering, Maybe that's a factor. Some suggest that maybe he was just apathetic. This was a commonplace occurrence. It wasn't unusual for Paul to be traveling through and for them to witness this kind of divine fortune telling. And it was almost just an accepted part of the culture. And there was a sense of, well, she's not really doing much harm. You know, she's just doing her particular thing. So why would we bother addressing and dealing with this particular issue? And I would say that all of those possibilities are potential possibilities, but they're also all applicable. Because at times, Scripture leaves these kind of things vague for a reason. And the reason is this, and this is really what I want to... I'm hoping it will encourage our hearts, but I'm certainly hoping that it will stir us and give us a fresh perspective on a particular reality that we see around us. But there are times 
when we allow things. And there can be all sorts of motivations. Sometimes it's apathy. Sometimes we, we don't want to make a scene. Sometimes we think, well, it's just the way that society is and operates and moves and thinks. Sometimes we allow things and the, the Spirit of the Lord has to stir up our hearts to say, you know what, there's a moment to deal with the things that are preventing and hindering the gospel and the work of Christ around us. So very quickly, let me set this up again, because this is not an isolated incident. If this was one little moment in the missionary journeys of Paul, where there's a little girl and, and she gets delivered from a demon, and we could probably move on. But we saw back in Acts chapter 12, and you don't need to turn there, but there was this account as... as as uh, Paul at that time with Barnabas begin their missionary journey. And the moment they land in Cyprus, they're encountered by some demonic opposition in the form of a a guy who's described as a Jewish false prophet by the name of Bar-Jesus. Now, if that is not an indication that something's going on there, I don't know what is. But they're encountered by this guy. And this guy is into all sorts of things. And there's a moment as Paul's preaching the gospel, it says he looks at this guy and he literally says, you son of the devil, full of deceit, the hand of the Lord is upon you and pronounces blindness upon this guy. There's this spiritual encounter. Paul's like, no, we've got to deal with this reality before the proclamation of the gospel can take effect. And interestingly, it says, is the moment the darkness comes upon this guy, the proconsul, who's the ruler of that particular area, he believes and he comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was this reality of Paul needing to take authority over some of the stuff that was happening around in order for there to be an advancement of the gospel. Let's look at one other example and then we'll kind of tie this together. Grab your Bibles again and jump over to Acts chapter 19. Just because we're picking up this theme and I want you to, to see here, it's not just an isolated instance. There is this ongoing reality throughout missionary, Paul's missionary journeys of dealing with some of the stuff that's around. And I love this particular account because it's kind of quirky and it's weird and it's great that this sort of story is in the Bible. And the context of this is, as I mentioned earlier, one of, if not the greatest revival that I, I think you can find in the book of Acts and in all of church history is this account of Ephesus and the miracles that God did in the proclamation of the gospel to the degree that it says everybody in the entire region had the gospel proclaimed to them. So God was doing extraordinary things and it says in in 1911, this is kind of setting the scene to what the Lord would do in that area, it says God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick And the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And we've talked many times about this tension between the book of Acts being prescriptive versus descriptive. I know plenty of people like to make a formula out of this, which I think is not at all the point if we need to be doing handkerchiefs and whatever else. This is something God's doing. He's healing the sick. There's such an anointing and presence of the Lord that literally sweat cloths are carrying the anointing of the Lord and healing people and delivering them of evil spirits. So there's a cleansing. There's dealing with the spiritual atmosphere to such a degree that it says in verse 13, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So it'd be a bit like in our day and age, the the counselors, the psychologists or whatever, that the Lord is doing such a delivering work that they're like, well, let's try this out for ourselves. This, This method is clearly setting people free. Let's give it a go. So it says they they took Paul's method, which was to proclaim the name of Christ, and and they said it this way in the end of verse 13, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So they're going out trying to cast demons out using the method that Paul uses. And verse 14, this is is the colourful account that we've just, it's too good not to cover. So seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. And in one instance, in verse 15, the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know... Paul I recognize, but who on earth are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt upon them, mastered them all, overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And verse 17, this became known to all the residents throughout the region. The fear of the Lord falls upon them. Jesus was extolled, and many of them come to faith. Now, that's not something, not a method you'd find in many 
evangelical handbooks. And yet there is this reality of as God is about to birth something incredible in that region, what do we see? Extraordinary miracles, demons being delivered to such extent that people in the world, if you like, are picking up the same methods, not really knowing what they're doing, but saying, well, it's working, so let's give it a go and a practice and a try. And of course, run themselves into all sorts of trouble. My point is simply this. There is a reality to the spiritual climate around us that at times we see, we've looked at two instances in a broader context, and there's others we could go to, where, as, as in the passage I've just read, something stirs up. He's so greatly stirred within him that he's like, no, there is a moment where some stuff needs to be dealt with before we can move along. We've tolerated this long enough, and in order for us to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, we've got to stop for a moment and we've got to deal with some issues in the spiritual climate around us. And that's where I want us to get to. I want one more passage of scripture and then just, I promise we'll pull it together. But Ephesians 6 says this, and you can turn there if you like, verse 10, a passage I'm hoping that all of us are very familiar with, but just in case there's anybody here and you've not come across this so that we're all on the same foundation. Ephesians 6 says this, as Paul brings this incredible letter to a conclusion. He says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here it is. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, verse 14, stand therefore. See, what's he saying? It's, it's really simple. He's saying there is a wrestle, and not just a wrestle, there is a real wrestle. The, the real reality is not flesh and blood. It's not the issues that we could come up with. Ask any of us in this room today, what are the current issues that we're facing around us? And we could come up with a long list. And that's not to say, well, those issues don't count for anything. They're important. But Paul is trying to stir the hearts of the Ephesians to say there's actually a greater reality even than any of those issues that we could come up with in our own understanding. There is a wrestle and a reality in the spiritual realm that we need to be aware of. And if you had any doubt, he says, here's the reality, there's a wrestle and you're going to need to stand in the armor of the Lord. Now, you don't need armour to walk the dog in the park, yeah? You don't, you don't need armour to go on a vacation or a holiday. Or well, maybe these days in the COVID, it's slightly different. But by the same token, if you're heading to the battlefield, you don't take your high heels and your handbag. You need to be aware of the context in which you find yourself. What good are you going to be strolling through the park in the middle of a warfare zone. Now, he says that not, not so that we'd be discouraged, not so that we'd be frightened. He's saying, don't be discouraged. Don't grow weary in the battle, but do take a stand. That's really his urgency, as Paul writes this in Ephesians. Again, verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Verse 11, that you may be able to stand. That you can stand. Again, in verse 13, he says, that you may be to that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Again, and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, so stand firm. Did you get the message? Stand firm. Don't, don't be discouraged. Don't grow weary, but do take a stand. There is a wrestle. There's a battle. There's a reality. And there is a call for the people of God to know what it is to take a stand, to stand Firm, not in our own might, but in his might. So let me make a couple of observations here. Number one, and this is not a, a sermon on deliverance. It's not a sermon on a complete theology on the spiritual realm and, and demons or anything like that. But I do want to make this observation. I don't subscribe to a theology where as believers we need to be looking for demons under every bush. C.S. Lewis was... Uh, one of the first to say, he said, there's two equal and opposite errors. One is to disbelieve 
in the existence of the spiritual realm. But the other is to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. In other words, we're not denying the existence. Scripture makes it really clear there is a reality. There's a battle, there's a wrestle. And if we're not prepared, then we're not going to be able to stand in the midst of the battle when things come against us. But at the same time, we're not some kind of holy ghostbusters. You know, it's not the mission to whack the backpack on and go searching in every nook and cranny for the demons that we can find and exterminate. I'd also say this, I think at times we get too much caught up. Either we're just believing or that's the entire mission is to go after demonic principalities and powers in different regions and we just get distracted from the call and the cause which is to proclaim the gospel. Like That is the mission, that's where we come back to. But what I am convinced and my heart is stirred to encourage us in this morning is there are times, scripture makes it very clear, when we need to deal with Issues that are around us, spiritual issues. The issues are not just what's going on here, but in the spiritual realm. And there are things that we need to deal with at times, be it the darkness in the region that that Paul did deal with in order for the gospel to be proclaimed, or the demonic influence over people's lives that were upsetting and interrupting and interfering with the purposes of God. And I think particularly for us in the Western church, you know, it's interesting... We did um, some years, probably 10 years ago now, we did a, a pastors and leaders training school over in central India. There's about 400 pastors there that came from different corners of that, that um, very re- regional areas of India. And um, some of them rode on their bikes, you know, 600 kilometers, just phenomenal the effort they went to, to to be there. And you feel very humbled, thinking how on earth can we impart and give anything to this, this group of of pastors and leaders who are hungry for the Lord. But many, many good testimonies came out of it. But one thing that, that really I found intriguing and challenging was in all the conversations as you catch up with these people who've been in ministry and, and been through and endured all sorts of different circumstances that I can't even begin to fathom, was how much of their questions focused on the spiritual realm. There's one guy who came and he's like, look, there's just this demonic oppression. I've got these people who are demon-possessed. I've got you know, this house and there's all this spiritual activity coming in. And, and continually the questions of these pastors would come back to that more spiritual nature. You go to a Western Pastors and Leaders Conference, and I've been to many of those, and they're encouraging too, but it's normally about, well, you know, how do we get more bums on seats and, and how, how do we sing the latest songs? You know, just, it's different. How do we grow, grow the church? But in those kind of Eastern cultures, there's much more of an awareness of what's going on in the spiritual realm. And there's something as well in in the midst of this that I think we need to be really aware of. Listen to this encouragement from Paul to his spiritual son in the faith, Timothy, who's traveling with him in this particular journey as he writes in 1 Timothy. Because sometimes as well we think, well, maybe it's not applicable in our Western culture. Or we think, well, maybe that, that was just 2,000 years ago. I mean, we've, we've evolved. We're more intelligent now, all that sort of demonic stuff. And I've heard this said. That was just their way of kind of explaining mental health issues and other things. And it's not really applicable now. Well, this is, this is what Paul says to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.1. He says, now the Spirit expressly says... So grab a hold of this. It's not Paul saying, hey, I think this is a good idea. He's saying, you know he's serious when he begins a sentence with that. The Spirit of God is specifically and expressly saying this, that in the last days, in the latter times, that's a phrase that Paul talks about, that Jesus talks about, Peter talks about, Book of Jude, talking about this period prior to the return of Christ. He says, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. I'm not talking about the world. Christians. Believers will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase he says there? Not just because of their apathy, not just because they're caught up in other stuff, but he says specifically, you can rest assured, you can be aware that before the Lord returns, there will be a period of deception. Not just deception in a general sense, but specifically, he says, of people, believers, led astray by deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. 
And I think for us in the Western world, we've become a little unaware. We've become a little apathetic. We've become perhaps, you know, as Paul might have been in this instance, well, it's just, it's just the culture. It's just the way things operate around us. It's not really, it's not really anything behind it. I remember being kind of stirred up and kind of surprised in a conversation I had. This would be probably eight or nine years ago when we had one of our young girls going through preschool at the time, public preschool system. And I should say we've had um, four of our girls go through five different preschools and had some really good, one in particular, really good public school experiences. So I'm not anti the public school system at all. But in this one particular instance, it was here in uh, a, a local public preschool and we kind of got the sense that there was some interesting stuff going on in the, pre- the preschool classroom. So we booked in a meeting with the teacher. The teacher was there, the teacher of the other class, some of the assistants. And we said, look, we just have some concerns about what's going on in the classroom. Can you just fill us in? And this particular teacher, she said, oh, well, I've got this real desire to just open and expand the minds of the, the young kids to to anything and everything around them, to worldviews and philosophies. And, and so you name it, she had it on her list, some of the things she'd done, some of them she was going to, to uh, implement, everything from you know, subtle Eastern uh, mystical practices through to some that we believe were downright occult, from you know, Tai Chi's and yoga, yoga and magic spells, and y- you name it, she was doing it in the classroom and presenting it to us like... Isn't this wonderful? It's just wonderful that we get to expose young children to all these wonderful things, guided meditation sessions during the rest times. And so I looked at her, and my wife and I were there in the room, and I said, okay, I, I see what you're saying, that you want to expose the kids to all these different things. Okay, I'm hearing that. I said, how about this? And just a suggestion, and I'm genuinely willing to see this through, but why don't I come into the classroom just one afternoon a week, You do whatever you want on the rest of the time. I'll come in one afternoon, I'll bring my Bible, I'll read them scriptures, and I'll teach them about Jesus. I said that, I saw that, and you should have seen her face went as white as a ghost. It did. She just paused, literally, stopped in her tracks, and she said, word for word, she said, well, that would be totally inappropriate. Just like that. And and it kind of struck me, and this is eight or nine years ago, and things have definitely not got better since then. Both that we've gone down this path as a nation and Western cultures that have intentionally suppressed, as Romans would would say, the truth. Intentionally suppressed the truth. The truth has gone from being something that was the foundation and the bedrock of our nation through to something that, you know, a generation past was maybe a bit intolerant to now in the culture that we live. The truth is the very enemy. Any sort of Christian truth... That is the enemy. I've had people say to me, as I'm sure you have, and not just strangers, but people in my own family, that the very views that I have, it's the word they would use, the views that you have by nature are evil. They are evil. And we will oppose that evil with everything that we have within us, just by holding a biblical worldview. And and so we intentionally suppress the truth. It's no wonder then, isn't it, that we're stumbling around as a society in such darkness. We We turned off the light and wonder why kids are are a mess. But we've suppressed the truth, but at the same time, here's what we don't realize sometimes, is we've opened up the door for all sorts of foul practices, for all sorts of evil activity in a specific and a general sense. I don't think we realize at times quite the way that we've literally left a door wide open in Western culture for the enemy to come in with this tide and this flood of things that are certainly not from the Lord. When you cannot convince me that this militant anti-godliness, the anti-truth, the anti-everything that is right is not at its very essence. And I don't want to give the enemy too much credit here, but there's not an enemy of, uh, there's not an element of the work of the enemy that fundamentally underpins what we see. You cannot convince me that the depression and the oppression and the darkness and the cutting and, and There's all sorts of complexities there, but there's not an element there of the work of the enemy. You cannot convince me. And in fact, increasingly, my wife and I, we've been stirred in this area and we've been impacted. I think it's partly because our kids are a little bit older. Like we've we've moved from that phase of uh, kids being all into the, the Wiggles and Play School and Peppa Pig and Bluey, although that came in the 
in the, you know, the latter phases, all the, all the nice kind of innocent period of, of youthfulness, whereas a parent, I remember one time we were driving to Sydney, I think we were about an hour and a half into the trip, and all of a sudden my wife looks at me and she says, do you know, there's no kids in the car and we've been listening to Wiggles for an hour and a half. Anyone been there? That's just kind of, it's the phase of raising up little kids. But we've moved on from that, and just seeing now that they're in their teens, the movies, the YouTube channels, the, the social influences, the, the books they read, they're surrounded by stuff that is not of the law. There's, there's so much there. Sometimes it's just subtly in there. Sometimes it's overtly. And I think, how can we be suppressing the truth? And, you know, you put, put anything out on their teens these days about Christian faith, and Facebook will shut you down. Put anything there about anything else and the world will embrace it. Like there is this reality that we've opened the door to every kind of vile practice. This spirit of confusion and oppression and depression, discernment has left the building. And my encouragement in the midst of all that is not for us all to go away discouraged and think, well, there we go. That's the case that we live in. But for for us to to be stirred in our hearts that there is a need, and I believe not just a need but an urgency in the hour that we live for us to take a stand, to know what it is to take a stand, to say enough is enough of the stuff that's around us. We're aware of a wrestle, and as for me and my house, we will choose to serve the Lord. We're We're not having it anymore. We're not having it anymore. And I had an interesting conversation, just a couple more things and I'll bring it to a close. had an interesting conversation with uh, our second eldest child and she'd been to the movies just within the last week or so with some friends of hers and, and uh, she came away from the movie and even within the kids' movie space, it's hard to find movies these days that don't have some kind of influence, some kind of subtle messaging in there. And in fact, this, this particular movie, we thought, well... It'll be okay because it was produced by a certain producer and she went along to the party. She was deeply affected by it and it was funny because she didn't actually come to us for a few days. Clearly this movie had affected her and she's very sensitive spiritually and uh, I think it was about Wednesday of this past week she came to me and she said, Daddy, I've just got to talk to you and tell you something. And I said, okay, so what's going on? She's like, well... You know, I went to the movies, it was a birthday party with this group of friends. I've just been so impacted and affected by this movie. I've been having nightmares every night. And I said, well, what, why didn't you come earlier? And she's like, oh, well, I, I just felt so, I felt so guilty because I should have walked out and I didn't. And there was stuff going on and I knew it was not good and I didn't walk out. And, and instead I just thought, well, this is, this is just my lot. I've just got to endure this. And so she'd had, you know... A couple of nights of nightmares, she'd been impacted and affected. And I said, sweetheart, this is the analogy that I used. I, I said, it's a little bit like if you go to our property at the moment, we're just a little bit out of town and with all the rain and everything else, one place you want to avoid at all costs is the chicken coop. Because you head down that particular area of the yard, of the, the block, and it's where a lot of the water heads. And it literally is mud that is knee deep in places, and not just mud, you know, if, if you've had a lot of chickens, like we've had 50, 100, at some points 200 chickens, like a lot of chickens, and so it's not just mud, it's like mud mixed with chicken poop, mixed with, like it doesn't smell nice, it's not nice in any way, shape or form, and you can avoid going down there as, as much as you can for a period, but sooner or later someone's got to get in there in the midst of the mud, someone's got to retrieve the eggs and feed the chickens and make sure they're still alive. Although I think at one point we thought about just, just letting them go. Get them again when everything's dry and it's not so unpleasant. But you do, you go in there. But the thing is you cannot go and enter into that place and come out not completely covered. It's no matter what you do, you wear knee-high gum boots and you're just, you're just covered in mud and gunk. And I said, it's a little bit like that, sweetie. Sometimes we're just, you know, stuff happens, whether it's our own choice, whether it's that just the culture that's around us, but we don't need to live with it. That's, that's, that's not what the Lord would want. Is, it, is that what I would want as your father to say, well, can you go and clean out the chicken coop and, uh, well, you know, you're covered head to toe in chicken poop, but I guess that's just the way it is. It's just, it's just the time that we live in. There's just mud around. You've just got to put up with it. 
I said, that's, that's not my heart for you as my father. I'm like, let's get you cleaned up. And it's, it's a little bit the same for us, that there is this sense. I look around and I see a generation and I see in my own life, there are some things at times that I have tolerated that I need to deal with. And it's really this simple, and we'll end with this. James 4, 7, it says this. Because I don't want us to be going away, stirred up for the wrong reasons, feeling nervous, feeling unsure, feeling oppressed. James 4, 7 says this. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil. It's it's almost too simple, isn't it? Resist the devil and he will flee. Not, Not he might flee. You know, it, what it doesn't say is pray long prayers and, and fast and hope and do what you've got to do, jump out up and down and scream at you. None of it. It just says resist the devil and he will flee. See, the moment we take a stand, he will flee. He knows he is defeated. Christ has come and he's won the day and he's given us the victory. And all we need to do is to stand in that victory that he has won for us. So here's the question as we read Paul's emphasis in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. He says this, having done all you can do, stand. Stand. Have you done all that you can do to stand? Because I also don't want us to misinterpret the reality that that requires some work. What are we allowing to influence us? What are, we, what are we allowing? Parents, what are you allowing into the lives of your children? You are the gatekeepers of your family. You cannot just dabble around a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of in, inappropriate video here. A bit. What's, it's okay. It's just the culture. It's just the way. We just play in the, the chicken pen a little. It's, it's all right. It's fine. Perhaps for some of us, we don't even know quite what it is we need to do. You cannot dabble around in this kind of stuff and still expect it not to have an impact on your life and the life of your family. Have you done all that you can do to stand? Can we get someone to come play the kids? Want to pray for us? And I want you to close your eyes. Just give the Lord a moment as we bring this time. To a conclusion. Just in this moment with you and the Lord, you know, I'm hoping that for some of us, as there has been in my own life, if not all of us, that there's some things that He is stirring. Not because we've heard a good or a bad or indifferent message, but because He is a God who is desiring that we be a people who know how to stand, who know how to stand firm, who, whose feet are, are planted on that place, the place of His power. And it may well be, and I pray that it is for all of us, that the Lord is revealing some things in our lives, some areas where there is that reality of we need to make us, there's some things that we need to deal with in this particular area. Perhaps we've been a little apathetic. Perhaps there has been that sense of, well, it's just the way it is. It's just commonplace. It's just things happening around us. There's nothing unusual about it. The Lord's stirring us to say, no, no, this is, this is a moment where there are things around about us that if we're not careful, will lead us astray. Maybe for some of us, there's been that thing of, well, I know this stuff, but I don't even know how to go about dealing with some of the stuff that's going on in my own life, let alone in the life of my kids and my family. And I want to encourage us. As we said before, James 4, 7, resist the devil. He will flee. Take a stand. If you need help, if and, and there certainly is, is times where each of us needs someone to come and just 
and say, you know what, can you pray for me? I'm, I'm having trouble in this particular area. There's no shame, there's no weakness that we need to be afraid of in coming forward and asking for prayer. In fact, that's my desire and that's just the call this morning is that it is a time and a season where we need to be prepared to deal with some of that stuff as the Lord reveals it. This morning, after I pray, if you want to come and just kneel at the front, you can do that. If you know there are, there are issues and aspects in your life that you need someone to stand with you and pray for, if there is that something in you rising up and saying, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm just done with dealing with this. I've, I've had enough. I'm greatly annoyed. I'm greatly grieved. I'm, whatever it is, as for me and my house, we're taking a stand today. If you want, you can come up as a couple, as a family. We just want to pray for you in particular. But Lord, before we invite people forward, I just want to pray for each and every one of us here. I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would stir our hearts where we need stirring. Lord, that you bring conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we thank you that there is no condemnation Christ Jesus, but you're a God who loves us enough to convict us of the things that need to be made right. And I pray that we would be a people and a church that don't just tolerate, that are not just apathetic to some of the things that are around us, but there's a willingness, there's a courage, there's a boldness to genuinely take a stand, whatever that looks like for each one of us. To say enough is enough. And we're willing to allow you to deal with the things in our hearts that need to be dealt with in our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. So we've got the prayer teachers to come up. And I genuinely want you, if the Lord is is stirring something in your heart, I want you to come forward. I want you to respond. This is this is not a, you know. A nice, comfortable, go away, happy and tickled and those messages are great, nothing wrong with those. But this is something that is more of that urgent stirring from the Lord and it's a time and season to deal with stuff. So if that's you, come forward now, I want to pray with you, bless you this week and look forward to meeting again as we worship the Lord next Sunday, amen. Speaking in faith whatever it looks like. We'll be here ready to go. So come forward if you'd like to respond like prayer this morning.